voting to something that I have been following the past year is, of course, um, South Africa being on the grey list. Now, it's been a year since the Global Watchdog, the Financial Action Task Force, also known as FATF, put South Africa on a grey list for failing to meet international standards with regards to anti-money laundering, combating the financing of terrorism and the proliferation financing. So what progress has been made since then by the government and other regulatory bodies to get the country off the grey list? I'm being joined by Hawken McEwen, Director of Risk Compliance at Doc Fox. Thank you so much, Hawken, for joining us, having this conversation on grey listing. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Krista. Hawkins, so tell us about what progress has been made since the government um, was put on this grey list a year ago. Yeah, sure. So we really knew back as far as 2019 that there were that there were challenges because that's when the FATF, the Financial Action Task Force, came through to visit us and gave us our report. So we did start doing work. If we look at the key high-level findings, it was really around a lack of understanding of the risk in South Africa by the Financial Intelligence Centre, the regulator in charge of keeping an eye on the anti-money laundering, counter-terrorist financing. And they also picked up, because of this lack of understanding, there was a lack of information coming through. So there were poor investigations, prosecutions, and a lack of asset forfeiture. And that really came, again, from understanding what's happening in the country. So a lot has been happening, but it's really only pretty last minute, towards the tail end of last last year, that these regulations and these controls actually started to come in. So in typical South African style, we were perhaps a little bit late off the starting point. But the biggest thing that I think is going to happen that might impact listeners is that the reach of FICA, the the legislation that requires you to, to prove your identity to people like banks, that has been extended. So it's now going to cover more non-financial companies. So it will cover credit providers, but it's also going to cover crypto asset providers and a rather broad category of high-value goods dealers. So they're really looking to expand and understand the risk of the country, especially in those non-financial organizations, which is going to put more burden on those companies, but also on people working with them. You know, if you want to take out credit, if you want to buy crypto, if you're going to go and buy something over 100,000 rand at any company in South Africa, they're going to have to do FICA on you. So that, that has happened, and it's to, really the point of that is to get more information. There's also been a, a requirement under something called Directive 6 and 7 that is requiring uh, certain companies, especially non-financial ones, to do an annual return to the Financial Intelligence Centre to understand their risk. What kind of businesses and individuals are you doing with business with? What controls do you have in place? What kind of customers do you have? The challenge we have with that is a certain amount of apathy really amongst those, those entities. So if you consider there's just over 16,000 legal practitioners, little over half of those have actually currently responded to that. So it's really hampering the attempts on the Financial Intelligence Centre to get a grip and understand the risk that's out there. We've got a similar response for the state agents. There's over 9,000 property practitioners out there, and there's only been around 40% response. So we are, you know, it's not necessarily the Intelligence Centre that's holding it back. It's actually the people on the ground, these accountable institutions. Um, we've also, I think another one of the big things is that we've introduced this requirement for a beneficial ownership register. 
And that's with any company under SIPSI, any trust has to report to the master's office, who actually is behind and controlling organizations in South Africa. And the reason for that, again, as we've seen in many of the cases that have come to light in the headlines recently, there's a lot of people that are using companies to hide behind. You know, mm. it's much easier to deal with ethical investments limited than it is potentially, you know, if a minister comes to you. So they're trying to stop that by identifying who is actually behind these entities that is actually trying to transact. So there's an awful lot of stuff that's happened. You know, they're now asking people to, to screen their own employees to try and look for risk. So they're turning the risk from customers to employees. Um, and they've highlighted specifically, you know, that there are certain people that are politically exposed that might have a high risk and we have to keep an eye out for them. So there's an awful lot of stuff mm. that has been happening behind the scenes, but arguably not a enough little bit yet. late. Yeah. Yes. So, Hawken, on that, I mean, I read that, obviously, and you've pointed out the private sector has been very involved, but I also saw an article about estate agents not coming to the table. Is that correct? Yes. So, property companies basically are are at risk of being leveraged as part of an anti-money laundering scheme, because what better to do a crime, get some money and buy yourself an amazing mansion? However, I think we're still seeing a reluctance here with estate agents to accept that. I think historically, when you buy a house, sell a house, you give a copy of your ID, but they don't really know who you are. They're not digging deeper. And that is very much a focus of the Financial Intelligence Center. They are actively going out and you know, inspecting estate agents and the legal practitioners that are working with them you know, to really encourage them to understand their customers and really understand the transaction and where the money's coming from. But we are seeing an extent of reluctance, of apathy of them to actually do the work, basically. And we are relying to an extent for these guys to do the work so that we can get that understanding of the risk in the whole country. Mm. So I have a question, Orkin, from a listener who's saying, why is Dubai not on the grey list? They harbour criminals <laughs> worldwide, so that's the one. And then secondly, news came out over the weekend that Namibia has also been added to the grey list list. Yes, so the fact they do regular kind of quarterly plenaries and what they're doing is constantly going and doing what they call a mutual investigation or a mutual evaluation. They go around countries and we kind of effectively inspect each other against these 40-odd standards that are really the global standards for protecting a country against being used for money laundering, terrorist financing. And where you fall short on some of those controls, then there can be findings. If there are enough findings, then they'll put you onto what we call the grey list. So it depends on when they're coming around to, to, to do that inspection. And also being a member of the FATF is optional. So not all countries are members of FATF. Um, so what they've recently done an inspection with Namibia, they've had some findings similar to, to South Africa. And this is ongoing. But I think it's important to point out that a grey listing is effectively the FATF saying to a country, look, you know, we know that you have weaknesses here, but you're working with us to try and fix it. There's no sanction, there's no limitation on anyone doing business with South Africa or its people or its entities. It's really just highlighting the fact that there could be increased risk just because our controls aren't quite there. There is another list called the blacklist and companies, as you would expect, or countries like North Korea and what have you are on it. And they are people that really don't have the controls and they're not willing to work. So it's constantly kind of evolving. There are countries coming on, there are countries coming off all the time. Um, and I know that we certainly have an aim to try and come off by 2025. It has been done. If we look at Mauritius, Serbia, they were only on the list for two years and they turned it around. Uh, we are hoping to do it by 2025.
it's wow walking so you are kind of feeling confident that by 2025 we'll be off the list that's great news of course but it's still a long road to 2025 correct i'm i'm yeah i'm hoping so um but i mean if i'm very honest south africa doesn't necessarily have a brilliant reputation for actually delivering things in a timely way it also becomes more complicated because we've got elections coming up which is going to change potentially the political landscape the priorities the drivers and the people that people like the Financial Intelligence Center are going to be working with to turn it around. So I will always be positive and confident because I've absolute belief in the people and the companies of South Africa. But, you know, as we mentioned before, those legal practitioners, the estate agents have to start coming to the table and the Financial Intelligence have to keep pushing despite this election. So I do have concerns that it might get railroaded and, you know, go off the tracks a little bit. But I am still positive that if we keep pushing, we will be able to get there. Was Hawken McEwen, he's director of risk and compliance at Doc Fox. It is a year since South Africa has been placed on the grey list. Um, it's the global watchdog, the Financial Action Task Force, that put us on the list. But as Hawken said, he is confident by 2025 we will go off the list. We have had some positive steps. So thank you so much, Hawken, for that insight. Um, and of course, I'm as optimistic as you are that by 2025 we will be off the list.